0: In spite of all this, they still sinned. Despite his wonders, they did not believe. So he made their days vanish like a breath, and their years in terror. When he killed them, they sought him. They repented and sought God earnestly. They remembered that God was their rock, the Most High God, their Redeemer. But they flattered him with their mouths. They lied to him with their tongues. Their heart was not steadfast toward him. They were not faithful to his covenant. Yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all his wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and comes not again. How often they rebelled against him in the wilderness, and grieved him in the desert. They tested God again and again, and provoked the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power, or the day when he redeemed them from the foe, when he performed his signs in Egypt, and his marvels in the fields of Zoan. He turned their rivers to blood, so that they could not drink of their streams. He sent among them swarms of flies, which devoured them, and frogs, which destroyed them. He gave their crops to the destroying locust, and the fruit of their labor to the locust. He destroyed their vines with hail, and their sycamores with frost. He gave over their cattle to the hail, and their flocks to the thunderbolts. He let loose on them His burning anger, wrath, indignation, and distress, a company of destroying angels. He made a path for His anger. He did not spare them from death, but gave their lives over to the plague. He struck down every firstborn in Egypt the first fruits of their strength in the tents of Ham. Then he led out his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them in safety so that they were not afraid, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies. And he brought them to his holy land, to the mountain which his right hand had won. He drove out nations before them. He apportioned them for a possession and settled the tribes of Israel in their tents. God, we just uh, bow before you right now. God, we just take a deep breath and ask you just to fill our whole life with the reality of your presence, your love, your mercy, your forgiveness, your greatness. God, we need you. And I pray that the desire of our heart would be to not only listen to what you have to say to us through powerful lyrics of songs like this, through the power of your word, but God, I pray you would give us an obedient spirit, not just to hear your word, Not just to sing lyrics, but to let you change us. Let you give us new life for this moment. God, thank you for the opportunity of just celebrating you, dwelling in your presence. Overwhelm us with your power today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I invite you to take your Bible and open with me to Psalm 78. Uh, last Sunday, we covered the first 31, or 31 verses of this psalm, and we'll pick up there today and continue. And then next week, we'll have the opportunity to complete um, Psalm 78. What makes a great church? Have you ever thought about that? In my lifetime, I've witnessed churches rise and fall. Uh, As I share this message this morning, Christianity Today is in the process of releasing uh, a continuing podcast story about the rise and fall of a great church in our country. It raises the question what makes a great church and what makes a church great? Well, the obvious answer might be great people, because people make up the church, right? And it would logically flow that if you have great people, then you have a great church. As football analyst Lee Corso says, though, not so fast there. Uh, Any measure of greatness in our church, or any other church for that matter, must be attributed to nothing less and nothing more than the greatness of God. The power of God. And Psalm 78 takes us there. The the, the greatness of any church is measured by the hand of God, birthing and sustaining and empowering that body. It's the Father, God, who is great. And when greatness is ascribed to Him alone, then His power can be revealed. Some of us came here this morning with our lives maybe reeling from crises that we faced this past week, or maybe even crisis that, a crisis that we're in right now. And we may be asking, where is God? Too often in the affluence of life when things are going great, we forget about God altogether. All And again, the question is raised, you know, where's God? Well, this morning we're going to go with the psalmist as he recounts some of Israel's history and the involvement of God in the life of His people. And we're going to see that God is ready to reveal His power in each of our lives today. And so look with me as we continue this psalm, Psalm 78, beginning with verse 32, and look for the demonstration of God's power in the life of Israel, His chosen people, and then apply that to where we are in the 21st century. And our need, and our quest... For seeing the power of God overwhelm our life and give us new life. First of all, in verses 32 to 37, we see that the power of God can resolve any crisis. The story begins with God's blessing. We saw this expressed in the first stanzas in verses 1 through 31 last week. The judgment of God on the sins of His people was devastating because... They ignored the greatness of God working in past history in their life. And the psalmist was warning them, the future generations deserve a better course than that. The future generations deserve to see the hand of God, the power of God at work in their life. And we have an opportunity to share that story. It's imperative to tell the next generation God's truth. If if you have children in your home, then we want to offer you family devotion guides to help you reinstate maybe a family altar where you are studying God's Word together in the family. I don't know how many of you grew up with family altars. I did. I saw God transform the life of my pagan father and mother who were running far and hard from God. And he changed their life. He gave them a new life. And we grew up in our family, having family altars together. It's time to restore that practice in the lives of families in Palmetto Shores. And we want to help you do that. And so see Morgan or Kyle after the service today and pick up one of those devotion guides and begin that establishing that process of studying God's word and praying together and having fun time together with families in your life today. In verse 32, after God had judged Israel for their rebellion against Him, look at verse 32, in spite of all this, they still sinned. What does sin do? Well, sin separates you from God. We need to remember that our purpose is to be in relationship with God in our life. And sin separates us from God. And so in spite of all this, they still sinned. Despite His wonders, they did not believe. You know what unbelief is? When the Bible says they did not believe, unbelief is the sin that separates you from God. Not trusting God, not believing in God, not anchoring your life in God is unbelief. And that's fatal in the life of any person. Let me ask you this. And I've asked this maybe once before, but it bears repeating. Do you remember the first sin that you ever committed? (laughs) You know why you can't remember the first sin that you ever committed? Because you were born into a nature of sin. You have sinned from day one in your life, literally rebelled against God. That's what sin is, rebellion against God. Do you believe, here's even a greater question, do you believe that God has forgiven you for your sin? The Bible says if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You today can live in freedom from the slavery of sin, from the separation that sin puts in your life between you and God as long as you're willing to believe. A lack of belief cost Israel everything. The Bible says God's people did not believe. Look at verse 33. And as a consequence to that, so he made their days vanish like a breath. And their years in terror. What does that mean? Well, in simple language, it simply means that you do not want to live under the wrath of God. There's an alternative. Psalm 1611, two years ago, we looked at this psalm. Psalm 1611 says, In God's presence there is fullness of joy. At God's right hand are pleasures forevermore. You don't have to choose to rebel against God and live separated from God. God invites you to Himself so that you can live in His presence and experience fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Not just on this earth, but forever and ever for eternity. Unfortunately, though, Israel chose to abandon life in God's presence. And they chose His wrath. Verse 34. So when he killed them, they sought him. They repented and sought God earnestly. But we're going to learn later that this wasn't on God's terms. This was on their terms. Have you ever heard a child do something that they know they're not supposed to do? Maybe they do something to hurt another child. And when they're confronted by it, parents, you know this. I'm sorry. Do they really mean it? Well, their actions will show if they really mean it, but most of the time, those are just words to keep from getting the punishment that they may incur. And that's what Israel did. They repented, but it was not sincere repentance. They sought God earnestly, but not on God's terms. They sought God earnestly on their terms. You know, there's something about people dying that puts us in crisis mode. And that crisis will either draw you closer to God or it will push you further away from God. In Israel's case, they found themselves in crisis mode and they found themselves running away from God. Look at verse 35. They remembered that God was their rock. What's a rock? A rock is something that... You stand on firmly. It's an anchor that will hold you in the storms of life. They remember that God was their rock, the scripture says. The Most High God, their Redeemer. What is a Redeemer? A Redeemer is someone who purchases someone at a price. And that's what God had done for Israel. He had given them life in His presence. And they had an opportunity to live their life in relationship with Him. And yet, they were not sincere. Verse 36, they flattered Him. Flattered Him with their mouths and lied to Him with their tongues. What is flattery? Flattery is... Shallow, meaningless words. It's words that mean nothing. It's when you say what somebody you think wants to hear you say, but you're really just buttering them up. You're flattering them. That's what Israel did to God. They flattered Him with their mouths. They lied to Him with their tongues. Lying is a true expression of the heart. You lie because you don't want to face the consequences of the truth. And that's what Israel did with God. They lied to Him with their tongues. Verse 37, their heart was not steadfast toward Him. They were not faithful to His covenant. What is a covenant? A covenant is a promise that's been secured by an adequate payment. So God established His covenant for your benefit. As he did with Israel's. Because he is faithful. Verse 35 refers to God being the Redeemer. That means that that he has purchased his people with an adequate payment. Now some of you may may be here this morning. Maybe you, you can't get a picture of that in your mind. But... For our generation today, when we sin against God, which we all have done, it separates us from God. And God chose a remedy for that, for you and for me, by coming to this world as a man and living as a man, living a perfect life, perfect life. And then He sacrificed His own blood. To pay the price for your sin. That cross, a cross is a symbol that God has paid the price to pay for your sin. He's redeemed you. And all you have to do is repent of your sin, turn away from your sin, and put your trust, believe in Him, put your trust in Him that He's paid the price for your sin. And that he has set you free from your sin. And you claim that, you own that. You don't flatter him, you don't lie to him. You set your heart steadfast toward him. You remain faithful to his covenant. He's the one that initiated the covenant of giving you life, a secured promise. So trust Him today as your Redeemer if you've not done that. I wonder, you know, how how do people flatter God today? Israel spoke shallow words. They had uh, repentance that was not sincere, although they said it was. They were lying to God. Let me ask you, what's your motive for being here today? Is your motive for being here today to genuinely, honestly connect your life with God and give praise and glory to Him, to focus on Him and focus away from yourself and say, here I am, God, I want you to speak into my life. I want you to change my life. I want you to give me a new life. I want you to make my life count for your glory. Anything less than that, even when we come to corporate worship like this, anything less than an attitude like that is just flattery. It's not honest worship. So don't fall into the trap of, of that Israel fell into and, and, and have a motive that is not just to know God and then say, God, okay, now that I know you, I want to serve you. I want you to take my hands and feet and use them. To bring glory to you. Not just on Sunday, but Monday to Saturday. Is repentance for breaking God's covenant genuine in your life today? Are you willing to say, God, God, I'm a sinner. Would you point out areas in my life where I've rebelled against you, where I am right now rebelling against you? And as you convict me of that, forgive me so that I can be honest and open and genuine and not flatter you with empty repentance. Are you making all of life about Jesus, I guess, is the bottom line? Are you living a life that reflects the fact that you know him and you're in relationship with him and you love him with all of your life? You might try to flatter God, but it's not going to work. God knows when your heart is turned toward Him and you're sold out to Him and you're willing to make all of life about Jesus. So for Israel, unfortunately, only after harsh judgment did they even remember that He was their rock and remember that He was their Redeemer. But even in their repentance... They were flattering God. The power of God could have resolved their crisis if they had only believed and trusted in Him. Their character cracked under pressure. I think you would agree with me that our world is in crisis today. When I talk about crisis, though, I'm not talking about the earthquake in Haiti. I'm not talking about the travesty that's taking place in Afghanistan and other persecuted areas of the world. I'm not even talking about coronavirus. I'm talking about a crisis of faith. And God is knocking at our heart's door today saying, put your trust in me. Develop a relationship with me that will carry you through the circumstances of life, any crisis, any travesty of life. Because the power of God can resolve any crisis when we walk with Him. Here's the question. Do you really believe that God has that kind of power? Do you believe that God has the power to take circumstances around your life... And lead you through them in a way that's going to bring glory to him. That's the bottom line. That's really the bottom line of life. The power of God can resolve any crisis. So don't flatter God. Don't lie to God. Israel fell in that trap and suffered the consequences. Flattering faith is no faith at all. Secondly. In verses 38 and 39, we see that the power of God is revealed in God's character. So let's talk a a moment or two about God's character. See, God was merciful in spite of the unfaithfulness of Israel. And you're here today for one reason. And that is because God is merciful. Only God has the power to create Nothing else can actually create, speak something into existence that was not there before. Only God can do that. And God has spoken your existence into place. He's given you the breath of life to sustain you. His character is established. His character is revealed through the fact that He is faithful. Look at verse 38. Yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity. That means that he made it possible for them to be forgiven for their rebellion against him. And that is true for me today. That's true for you today. Verse 38. He being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity. He did not destroy them. He restrained His anger often and did not stir up all of His wrath. Forgiveness from God to you is at the heart of atonement. That means God wants to make you one with Him and He has laid out the plan for that to work through giving His own life to sacrifice for your sin. So don't miss it today. Verse 39, He, he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and comes not again. It's awesome to be remembered by God. In Exodus chapter 25 we have a description of the mercy seat. That's the place where Israel in their history would bring their sacrifice for their sin. They would bring it to the priest. And he would offer the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat to atone for the sins, to forgive the sins of God's people. Once again... God paid that price for you and me. Let's not forget that. God's great mercy was demonstrated for us and Him becoming the sacrifice to shed His blood to pay the price for our sin. He knows that we're but flesh. He knows that we're given toward, bent toward a life of sin and rebellion against Him. And yet He loves us enough To bring us back to Himself through His own mercy. God was merciful and atoned for their sin just like He does for ours today. God did not destroy them. God understood their weaknesses of the flesh just like He understands your weakness of the flesh. The power of God is revealed in His character. Now, integrity, you know what integrity is. Integrity is what holds something together when it's put under pressure. This building has integrity. Hurricanes come and go, and because of the way this building is structured, it holds together. That's integrity. Character is what comes out of your life when you're squeezed. And the character of God is always consistent. Character is who you are when no one is looking. And even better than that, character is who you are no matter who is looking. And God is consistent. You've seen people who act one way when they're in a church crowd or when they're in one crowd and then they act totally different when they're in another crowd. That's the character of man. That is not God. He doesn't act that way. He is consistent. His character is totally always dependable and consistent. So the psalmist points out many character qualities. Let me just give you a few. God is loving. He's just. He's holy. He's wise. He's gracious. He's compassionate. He's merciful. He's kind. He's forgiving. He's long-suffering. He's slow to anger, according to the psalmist. He's faithful. And you can depend on Him To sustain you through any crisis. And through that crisis, walking hand in hand with Him. He will give you the opportunity to give glory to Him. That's what life's all about. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Him. And when His character is poured into you, then you're squeezed and His character comes out. Guess what? He gets glory for that. He gets honor for that. And because of his character, you can respond to him with honor and with loyalty and with your praise and worship. God longs to share his life with you. And one of the best ways that he has established for that to happen is through prayer. Now, I don't mean just talking about prayer. I'm talking about actually praying. With the situations I mentioned earlier with the earthquake in Haiti and we have friends in Haiti, personal friends in Haiti. We have people that this church supports in Afghanistan, pastors. Pastors who are indigenous to that culture and that country. That we support in Afghanistan. We all know people who are affected by illnesses that are going on in our land and around the world. How much time have you spent talking about those things this past week compared to how much time have you spent praying earnestly, diligently, by name, by situation, by circumstance, praying for people? I've been in situations in my life where I don't think I would have made it without somebody praying for me. When I went to college I left my home three states away. Southwest Alabama came all the way up to Furman. And every day that I was in college, I know my mom was praying for me. She loved me and she was praying diligently, earnestly for me. I can think of situations where I might have gone this way And God's Spirit carried me that way because of the faithfulness of a praying mom. The character of God is revealed through you and me praying earnestly and diligently. You know, saying you'll pray for somebody is not the same as praying for somebody. God changes things through prayer. There's power in His character So, pray for people that you love. Pray for situations that need to be changed. Actively listen to God and obey Him when He gives direction through the power of prayer. So, what difference does God's character make in your prayer life? As far as that goes, what difference does God's character make in your faith? Because those two things are critical in reflecting the character of God working in our life today. You honestly share your heart with God in prayer. When I was growing up, there was a man in our church that was very formative in my life. His name was Marshall Kilcrease. He had seven children. God called him to Brazil to be a missionary. He picked his family up and he went to Brazil as a missionary. When he would come home on furlough, Marshall Kilcrease had a little section of land behind his parents' house. There was a stump in the woods that he would go every morning and he would open up his Bible and he would read God's Word and he would pray before he did anything else during the day. And when I saw him do that, when I witnessed him doing that, it changed my whole attitude about prayer and about Life. every morning. If if you have our app, our church app, which I pray that you do, you'll have a chance in a little while to, to download our app if you haven't done that. But you have to give us your email address in order to do that. And everybody that we have email addresses for, every morning I send one little verse, one little verse of scripture with a little prayer thought. And my purpose for that is to encourage you to start the day in prayer. Start the day in God's Word. To say, God, I want your character to be revealed in me today because your character changes things. changes things in my life and it changes, in, changes things in the lives of people that I influence and interact with. The power of God is revealed in His character. And when you know Him and you anchor your life in Him, He reveals Himself through you in a powerful way. And there's nothing that will impact the future generation than that principle. Being in relationship with God through His Word and through prayer every single day power of God can resolve any crisis when you trust His character. And I pray that you'll do that today. Finally this morning, the, the last 15 verses of this section, this stanza of Psalm 78 shows that the power of God remains consistent. God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God faithfully led His rebellious people to their promised land. The promised land was God's plan. He led his people to the promised land. God blessed. Man rebelled. Man repented. And God restored. So look at verse 40. How often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Are you there right now? Is your life vitally connected to our true and living God? Is His character being revealed and squeezed out in you? Or are you in the desert somewhere? Are you wandering far away from God? They rebelled against Him in the wilderness and grieved Him in the desert. When when someone you deeply love acts out, when they misbehave maybe as an adult maybe even end up in a bad place in prison or something like that what does that do to your heart it it grieves your heart doesn't it and hopefully it grieves their heart that was the picture of Israel here they grieved him in the desert God was trying to lead them and they kept rebelling against him the story of mankind Verse 41, they tested God again and again. They provoked the Holy One of Israel. Provoked the Holy One of Israel. We have two grandchildren that are two years old. Yesterday was an exciting day in the Bird family. We were in Charleston with Perry, our two year old granddaughter. And I'll tell you what, there were five or six little two year olds running around in the house with about 30 adults. Pouring down rain outside, confined quarters. Those two-year-olds can try your patience. They can test you nonstop, all the time, moving, turning things over, throwing things around. I mean, it was it was an incredible fiasco. It was one of those things where we go, you know, the, the the party was over all of a sudden and it was like What just happened here? (laughs) I mean, stuff everywhere. But when a two-year-old acts like a two-year-old, it can test your, your patience. Israel continued to test God's patience. In verse 42, they did not remember his hand, his power. or the day when he redeemed them from the foe. When he performed his signs in Egypt and his marvels in the fields of Zoan. Now, here's the point God did everything he could possibly do to maintain a loving relationship with his people. And they rebelled. They continually, constantly acted like two year olds. They just wanted to get just far enough out to. You know, look back at him and make sure they, you know, would see if he would do what he said he would do when they stepped over the line. You've seen that happen. And they kept doing it over and over. And he kept being faithful, responsive to them. And Asaph gives us some illustrations. There are ten plagues that God brought when, after 400 years of slavery, Joseph had been taken, sold by his brothers into slavery. And for 400 years, God continued to establish a presence with his people through Joseph and the line of Joseph. And it came the time for God to let his people go. And he chose Moses to lead them out of slavery in Egypt to the Promised Land. And God said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh that I am... Yahweh, Jehovah said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, who is God? And so he had to demonstrate who God was. Ten plagues, seven days each, 70 days. God judged Egypt for not trusting in him. And he gave his people signs of who he was and how faithful he was. Look at it. He turned their rivers to blood. So they couldn't drink out of the streams. He sent swarms of flies and frogs. Verse 46, He sent locusts to destroy their crops. Verse 47, He sent hail and frost and thunderstorms to kill their flocks. Verse 49, He let loose on them His burning anger with indignation, distress, a company of destroying angels. Verse 50, He made a path for His anger and did not spare them from death. For He gave their lives over to the plague. And then ultimately... Pharaoh was, the Egyptians had hundreds of gods. Every one of these, every one of these plagues was directed against a god that Egypt worshipped. And God dominated over every single one of those gods because he's the true and living God. And ultimately, Pharaoh was a god in Egypt who was considered to be the ultimate power. And when God killed the firstborn of every family and every flock that did not have the blood over the doorpost, the blood of the lamb over the doorpost. And finally Pharaoh said, Okay, I've had enough. Get out of here, and I'll let your people go. God clearly demonstrated His power over every other little G-God in Egypt. And Israel saw that. And yet they still rebelled against him they still did not believe even though God had clearly demonstrated his power two quick thoughts here number one what are you putting ahead of God in your life today where's your trust maybe your work maybe an employer Maybe sports or some other kind of leisure, some hobby that you have. Maybe even your family. Anything that you put in priority over God is a God in your life. It's what's driving your life. And that's rebellion against God. Second thought, what are, what are you depending on to ultimately sustain your life? Anything less than God is rebellion against God. I thought this week about, you know, how dependent we are in our world on technology. I mean, think about this. You take the plague, seven plagues, you know, ten plagues, seven days per plague, 70 days. What would happen in your life if for 70 days you had no technology capability? Where would your trust then be? And my point is, although that's kind of a shallow analogy, my point is, nothing should be taking priority over God's hand working in our life. Because look at verse 52. Then He led His people like sheep. He guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them in safety so that they would not be afraid. But the sea overwhelmed their enemies. In other words, God led His people through the Red Sea. He led them on the other side to the promised land and destroyed their enemies in the process. Verse 54, He brought them to His holy land. He led them to the mountain by His right hand. He drove out the nations before them. He apportioned them for a possession. And He sailed the tribes of Israel in their tents. So God was faithful. The power of God remains faithful today and He's consistent. Our world is unsettled. I think you would agree with that. But that shouldn't surprise you. So here's the question. How are you praying for the power of God to be released through your life in our world today? You can't look at somebody else. You can't look back at Israel and say, look at what they did. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about you today. How are you allowing the power of God to be released in your life today? I'm challenging you to join me in confidently putting our trust in Him and allowing His power to be revealed through us today. So what does the power of God look like in a church today? Well, it starts, it starts by people like you and me in our church turning our total dependence and allegiance and faithfulness to God and God alone and asking Him to release His power in our lives so we can be a reflection of what it looks like. To be made new. To have changed lives. To be transformed into the image of Jesus in the 21st century in our world. That's what it would look like. If we were truly dependent on the power of God. Where is God? Well he's revealed through his power. And he wants to reveal that power through your life and my life today. Three quick thoughts as we wrap it up and kind of draw the net on this today. First of all you can't change history. History is something we can learn from. That's the second point. You can't change history, but we can learn from history. And the third question is, are you willing to repent and receive God's power in your life today? Now, I know that the Holy Spirit is speaking to some people in this room today as he's speaking to me. There's some transformation that needs to take place in my heart and in your heart. God wants to change us into His image so that we can, as His image bearers, bring glory to Him, not just on Sunday, but Monday to Saturday. Not just in church, but in our families, in our homes, in our neighborhoods. And I want to encourage you to join me today and establishing the power of God working in our life. So what makes a church great? The power of God. So I challenge you to repent and receive His power and build an authentic life of relationship with Him that starts with prayer, living in His Word, praying in faith, fellowshipping with believers, and then sharing the witness of His glory to the world around us. God, thank you today that there's a move of your Holy Spirit in this church. And I sense that there's a move of your Holy Spirit throughout the world today. God, I thank you for your power. And I thank you that your power was not reserved just for leading the children of Israel across the desert to the promised land but it's even more applicable to every single life on planet earth today God when somebody asks where's God I want to be like the apostle Paul I want to have a testimony where somebody looks at, at my life and says, if that's what it means to be a child of God, then I want to be a child of God. God, how I pray that you would take the character of our church and make that a reality to our character not for our glory, not for anything that we have to do, but for your honor and your glory. And God, even in this room this morning, I pray that you would draw men and women to you. I pray that as your Holy Spirit convicts of sin, that there would be a repentant spirit, that there would be some people in this room today who would say, I, for the first time in my life, I understand that my life is about you, God because of the conviction of my heart I repent of my sin and turn away from my sin and turn to you today God would you save me would you set me free from the penalty of my sin and would you set me free to give honor and glory and praise to you with my life with all integrity God help us not to flatter you but to be honest with you change our lives today to be like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.